0: It has uh, been said, I think wisely so, uh, and uh, indeed I think can prove these things, that you can live three weeks without food, right? Live three weeks without food. It, It has been shared and said that you can live three days without water. Beyond that, you can live up to about 10 minutes without oxygen, but... You cannot live a moment without hope, without hope. Whatever that hope might be, that hope might just be hope for a better day, that hope might be a hope for a better job, a hope for a better relationship, that, that hope can become many things. I, I've learned a lot about hope through a friendship that I have with a guy named Rayshawn. You've heard me talk about him before, Rayshawn. Uh, is serving a life sentence in a federal penitentiary, and we uh, talk to him every Monday night when we can, uh, and our schedules are free, and he 's able to call but we we learn so much about hope for him because within every phone conversation that we have with Rayshawn at some point we talk about freedom. <laughs> You see, even though he serves the life sentence, he has to keep in his mind, in his heart, the reality that someday, miraculously, he may get out, right? He, he has to thrive without the hope of some kind of freedom. He, he indeed would just languish in the places that he's at without hope. So his hope is so important to him. So with every conversation, he either talks about the reality of a, a, a miracle pardon that somehow gets him out of prison, or, or the, not the very least, but the pardon that he'll get upon death that he'll be free in Christ in heaven. It's a great lesson in understanding about how crucial it is to talk about hope. We must have hope. We live in a day where hope is a needed conversation piece. And so I thought that as we approached Christmas and this time we call Advent that it would be helpful, maybe especially in 2020, to focus on hope. Because as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we do need to remember that He is ultimately our greatest hope. And eternally, He is our hope only hope so here's the theme verse for the next four weeks and for Christmas Eve it is your new memory verse right Um, I gave you what seven months to learn the last one verse you've only got four weeks to learn this one it's a it's a it's a fast learn all right um, but it, it is uh, not our me- only our memory verse, but our instruction for us this Advent. You've already heard it once this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, and it says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So let me give you practice this morning. It's on the screen, so you don't have to memorize it that fast, but you can read it. Would you say that with me? What is Hebrews ten twenty-three, church? Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Our time together will be focused on understanding uh, the confession of our hope and how we hold fast to it. Are you ready for that? Woohoo! all four of you. This morning, we we focus on the H of hope, right? So we will walk through the four Sundays in Advent. We'll take a letter each week. And this morning, we take the letter H, and it is about honesty. What's the H of hope? You guys are so good. Our text this morning comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. And as we turn there, and I'd encourage you to turn there in your Bibles this morning, or your electronic devices, or whatever you have that you can uh, call up the Word of God, Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. As you turn there, we never, or we try never, to approach a text without some understanding of where it is coming from, right? So we don't like to just take verses out of context, but to understand their surroundings. And, and so as we turn to the book of Romans, chapter 5, uh, we need to understand that the book of Romans is an amazing letter written by, for all of you, is written by Paul to the church in, this is really hard, Rome, very good, see I... You're brilliant, right? So, from Paul to the church in, in Rome, both Jews and Gentiles will see that this morning, alike in the church in Rome. And, and it's an amazing letter that I, I think, really, if you narrowed it all down, this is a way oversimplification, but I think it helps us this morning. It, it, it really has two points we are far worse off than we know, and Jesus is far greater than we could ever imagine, right? That's the book of Romans. You, you, you've heard preachers say how complex it is. It's not that complex. That's what it is. It's two points. We are far worse off than we know, and Jesus is far greater than we could ever imagine. I, I love to find key verses in a book to help me understand and frame the book. And those two verses actually uh, Dick Simon uh, read to you this morning as we approached confession. Romans uh, three twenty-three and 24. We all know Romans 3, 23. We've memorized that. Somebody has told us how bad we are, and, and that's true. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we stop way too short because 24, which I'm glad Dick included this morning, uh, tells us that we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I think that's a great summary of the book of Romans. Do you see it there? We are far worse off than we know. (laughs) And God is, Jesus is far greater than we could ever imagine. We are those who have fallen short of the glory of God. But through Christ, we are justified by his grace as a gift. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through Twenty-one Help us in a similar way this morning. So let's turn there Romans chapter 5 verses 18 through 21. I want you to listen for that theme as we read this morning. This is the word of God. It says therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and the life for all men. For as by one the our Lord. Now, the comparison and the contrast here, uh, if you uh, aren't aware, is a comparison contrast of Adam, who is the one who has led us into brokenness and sin, and then to Christ, who is the one who has come as we celebrate Advent, that has rescued us from that sin. So, I, I want to take some time this morning and and look at the text a little bit to, to make our point, right, that we are far worse off than we know, and, and that we... Uh, need to see that Jesus is far greater than we could ever imagine. And it's all in a hope that we might be be a bit honest with the reality of our brokenness and that we might find our hope. So the Apostle Paul is the king of the therefore, right? If you go through his epistles, there's therefores all over the place, mostly because he's a run-on writer, right? So he just run on, run on. And so every once in a while, he puts a therefore in just to make sure that we stop and understand this is the point, right? So I've I've taught you well, right, that when you see a therefore, you ask a question, and that question is, what's it there for, right? So oftentimes in in Paul, it is this sense of, hey, wake up, pay attention. This is a great summary for us to learn. And in verse 18, there is a therefore. So here comes the all-important summary. You need to pay attention, and that summary is twofold. You are worse off than you know. And Jesus is greater than you can imagine. So let's begin. Look at verse 18. And let's see this in verse 18. As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now, there's two words in that text that we're quickly going to look at today. I'm going to see if you know which two words they are. very good rick works paying attention in the back condemnation and justification right two big church words we don't ever use these words in regular language but they're important words to make our point. point first see condemnation we are far worse off than we know listen i love you all i've grown to love you over the two plus years that we have been here can i tell you something with complete honesty this morning without jesus you're all condemned to hell That's what it says. By virtue of one trespass from Adam, it led to condemnation for all men. A lot of you don't like to think of yourselves as condemned. Well, you don't have to because there's good news that Jesus is far greater than we could ever imagine, right? Because why? We've been justified. He has stood in our place that at one act of righteousness, which is his death on the cross, right, has justified us for life. You see it? You're far worse off than you know. And Jesus is far greater than we can imagine. In case you didn't get it in that one verse, Paul gives us another one. It's called verse 19. He says this, For as by by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners... So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. There's two important words there. I don't know if you catch it. By the time we get to 21, you will. All right? The the two words I want to focus on is the reality that you're a sinner. (laughs) You hear that? By one man's disobedience, that being Adam's disobedience in sin, we've been broken. We are sinners. I love you all. Though I'm going to be honest this morning. Honesty is the theme, right? Here we go. You're sinners. I I had a a gentleman uh, in a previous church, so don't look around, um, uh, that uh, he would come to me and he said, listen, I know that I've sinned, but right now I don't think I sin at all. And at first I thought he was kidding, right? And then I looked into his eyes and he was dead. Poor choice of words. He was very serious, right? Right? Uh, the, the, the reality of, of thinking, uh, and, and so I, I lovingly, with half a smile, because I knew him relatively well, said, well, you just ruined that because you just lied to me. You're a sinner. Let me tell you that you are a sinner. But the good news is because I, 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 you need to know that you're far worse off than you know, but the good news is that Jesus is far greater than we could ever imagine, right? He has taken us as sinners, and he has made us in right standing, With God. He has made us righteous. That's verse 19. In case you didn't get it, there's verse 20. Here it is. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, this is a bit more complicated. So, slow down with me a bit. Sin has been around since Adam. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden take of the fruit that was forbidden of them and brokenness entered the world. But through Moses, God gave Israel a written law. It's called the Ten Commandments, that they might know their sin all the more. In in case we lose sight of the reality that we are far worse off than we know, he's given us the law so that the law would prove to us that we are far worse off than we know. It's not that they sinned more. They just knew more that what they were doing was sin. (laughs) So the law was given to them, and in giving of the law, God is saying to them, hey, in case you forget that you're far worse off than you know, here's a law that you can't keep to know that you are far worse off than you know. But, Paul says, where sin increased, grace, I love this language, abounded all the more. Uh, The place of honesty in knowing that we are broken only makes room for abounding grace or abundance of grace. Uh, To this point, Paul has been using opposites in thinking about these verses. Here he's building on one another. He says, listen, as your sin increases, know this child of God that God's grace abounds all the more. You are far worse off than you know, but Jesus is far greater than you can imagine. Two words in that, increase and abounded, and in case you didn't get it, there's verse 21, and you'll be glad to know that this is the end of the text, right? So uh, how many times has Paul said it, but he has said it in different ways to say the same thing, and here's verse 21, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign Through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Two important words in this text that are eternal words, really important words. Those words are death and life. Listen, as sin reigns in our lives, it brings death. But as grace reigns through righteousness, it leads us to eternal life. This is the importance of the contrast. To live in sin without Jesus is eternal death. But to live in righteousness with Jesus is eternal life. Hear the text repeated for us in 18, 19, 20, and 21. You are worse off than you know. You see, when, when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, everything broke, including you. So listen, broken things have happened to you because of sin, and you have been broken and caused brokenness in others because of sin. This morning is about being honest. We're sinners, broken people. We are far worse off than we know. Paul writes to Jews and Gentiles in Rome as he writes the book of Romans. And one thing about the Jews and the Gentiles I think that you can notice as you read through the book of Romans is that they're always having a contest to decide who is the worst sinner. The Gentiles look at the Jews and they go, Man, you had it all. You were like God's favorite people and you blew it. Obviously you're the worst sinner. And the Jews would look at the Gentiles and say, Listen, you guys were idiots for like centuries, right? Millennia. You, you never caught on. Went after pagan gods, did all those other things, and, and then finally you get invited to the party late in the game. But you, you, you're both sinners. And, that, and that's Paul's point, right? Jews and Gentiles are going back. Who's the worst sinner? The one who had it and lost it or the one who never had it and got it? Who's the worst sinner? And Paul says, you're both sinners. You're both far worse off then you know. He says you're all messed up, just in different ways. There is no continuum of really bad sinners to really good sinners. We're all broken, getting more broken, and then headed to eternal brokenness unless we know Jesus who has rescued us. Unless we know that we've been given grace that abounds for us. Unless we know that God has given us a promise of eternal life. This is why Jesus in his ministry looks at the people who think they are all okay because they are good sinners. And he says, you know, there's something more messed up with you who think you're good sinners than the real sinners who acknowledge that they're messed up. Make make sure you catch that. Jesus in his time on earth says, listen, there is... Something more messed up with you who are sinners but try to fake your way that you're not sinners than those who acknowledge that they're sinners and stand broken before God. That's why Jesus says plainly that he has come for the honest sinner and not for the faker sinner. He's come for the broken, the honest, not for those who have this self-perceived reality that they are okay. And it should get our attention here this morning. Because church people, I love you all, right? And I say this about myself, we are often the worst faker sinners. We put our Advent smiles on, our church clothes on, and we come in thinking that there is just absolutely uh, faking everybody out that we think that there's absolutely nothing wrong and we're broken well the point of the sermon this morning is this honesty and the reality is is we need to quit faking our confession hope, The confession of our hope, Hebrews 10, 23, begins with being honest about our sin. The more honest, listen, the more honest we are about our sin, the more amazing is our hope in Jesus. The greater we realize our fall, the more hope there is in our rescue. The more we understand our darkness the greater is the light. I I want us to see three places of application this morning that might help us to be honest. The first is this, the prophets. The prophets. The first Sunday in Advent is often a Sunday in which we talk about the prophets, and I think the prophets are a good place to go to see the honesty of brokenness, of sin, of understanding that we are far worse off than we know, but indeed anticipate the reality that Jesus will be far greater than we could ever imagine. Uh, You can find it in lots of places. Obviously, a place that we find it this morning as we head to Advent is in Isaiah 9. In Isaiah 9, the prophet Isaiah says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. I want you to think of the prophet's mind here, right? Where is it that we can see light the most brilliantly? In darkness. And yet, many times as believers, we walk in some self-perceived semi-light environment that when we see light, when we see hope, sometimes it's not distinguishable. But if we begin to realize that our lives, our sin, our brokenness is really bleak darkness, then light becomes all that more extravagant. And here he says, listen, acknowledge people. You are a people who walk in darkness. But there is one who is coming, who is a great, great light. And who is that? Well, he goes on in Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his head. And he shall be called wonderful, counselor, mighty, God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We know today, sitting here, that the prophet, though he didn't know it in full, is talking about Jesus. That Jesus shines all the more brilliantly when we're honest about the darkness of our lives. So, first place that we see this is in the prophet. Second is interesting enough this week for me in, in black history. Uh, for a long time I've had an interest in black history, even recently I've been reading a, a hard book, but a good book uh, given to me entitled The Color of Compromise. It's written by a great guy, Jamar Tisby, uh, who is an alumnus of the same seminary I am, Is why he's so great. Jamar Tisby, A History of the Church and Its Complicity or Its Involvement in Racism. As I said, it's a hard read, but it's enlightening. And the reason I mention is because, listen, the more I understand the plight of slavery in America, the more I understand the exuberance of the worship of many of my black brothers and sisters in Christ. And the better I can begin to understand or see the beauty of the hope of heaven. Now, that that seems like an odd statement. How does something as horrific as slavery help us to see the hope of heaven? Well, while I I don't completely get it, I can begin to see it that when you don't have any other hope other than heaven, then heaven becomes all the more beautiful and your worship all the more exuberant. You see, our, our black brothers and sisters who lived in slavery have written some of the greatest spiritual songs out of their darkness because the only hope they had was not in something that was in a tangible way going to happen in their earthly lives, but the very thing that was going to happen in their heavenly lives. And so as they write the spirituals, the spirituals are filled with this hope out of darkness in which they yearn for this marvelous light. And and I would suggest to us this morning that if we would begin to see our sin for what it is and the darkness that it is, that the hope of Jesus to forgive that sin and the hope of heaven that we have through Christ, I I know this is crazy, but it even might cause us to sway a little bit when we sing. I'm not calling you to everything, just maybe sway, right? Because of the exuberance, of the joy. And here's the deal. We don't often understand the darkness to appreciate the light. We don't often understand how bad off we are. And therefore, we see in a very different shade the brilliant light of Jesus and the hope of heaven. Three places. One in the prophets, one is in black history, and the third is in us. The people of God, we need to find more and more the hope of Jesus in our brokenness. And, I don't know if there's a better way to talk about this subject than a song that Matthew West has recently released, a song that maybe wraps this point better than anything, Um, really a sermon in a song. It's called The Truth Be Told. Let's watch it. wife will tell you that I am really bad at, is just saying I'm fine. And so there was a conviction on my life that I wanted to preach to congregations that they might share in my misery, is that we can never say that we're fine. We're worse off than we know. So I preached the sermon, and I said, listen, we're done as a church. When we say hi to each other and, and we reach out to each other and say, how you doing? We're not allowed to say, I'm fine. We're putting a kibosh on the word, I'm fine. And I'll never forget Peggy Eckert, dear." Dear and the Lord, who's now in heaven. And she came up, all 100 pounds of her, five foot, wagging that finger at me after the sermon. And she goes, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I said, Peggy, you're not fine. She goes, no, through Jesus, I'm fine. And I'm going to be fine. Right? And so she would see me every week. She would look at me and she goes, I'm fine. And Peggy and I had a brief conversation that we had more time and time again, even to her deathbed, that said, We're both right. We're not fine. We're worse off than we know, but we are fine. Only by the work of Jesus. And we won't know how fine we are through Jesus till we acknowledge how not fine we are in our sin. Honesty. Honesty. So that we might understand that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're not fine, but Christmas, Advent, is so great because in our not fineness comes Jesus to make us fine, well, and full of hope, but hope comes when we first get honest with our brokenness. So may we hold fast to the confession of our hope. May we hold fast to honesty. Being honest about our brokenness that causes us all the more to cling to our rescuer in Christ our Lord. Let's pray.